the first of our resurrection stories um, in this period between now and Pentecost is um, found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And I'm pretty sure that this is familiar to you, but I'd ask you to open your hearts and minds to hear it anew this day. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish in it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. The word of God for the people of God. So, when I was a young girl, growing up in Montana, uh, maybe 10 or so, my birth father attempted to teach me how to fish. We would camp and fish in the creeks and small rivers in the high country of Montana. And I caught a few fish. But then I heard about my dad's rule. You might have guessed what it was, as if the rule was if you caught them, you had to clean them. Well, I quickly lost interest in fishing and would go and chase butterflies or whatever else caught my attention. I was a little older when my brother Earl who was 13 when I was born, by the way, so he really was my big brother, 
when he would take me fishing with him, he was really serious about fishing. Even years later, when Earl suffered from a, a form of dementia that struck him at a very young age, even then he could go out and he could catch more fish than anyone I'd ever known. And he always remembered what to do. He couldn't remember some other things, but he remembered fishing. So I would go with him because he was my big brother, kind of my hero. And we would go out fishing. I'm thinking probably late teens, maybe something like that. And Earl and I would go fishing and, um, I loved being with him in the wilderness. I loved camping with him, hiking with him, all of those things that were part of our, our growing up years. But again, fishing was not my thing at all. Not even a little bit. In fact, I think the very last time I went fishing with Earl, I lost a prized rod and reel and a deep hole in the creek. You know how sometimes those mountain creeks would have these really deep spots? Well, I dropped it in and it wasn't mine. It was my brother Randy's. Yeah, I was in lots of trouble then. But I wanted to go with for the experience. And here's the part of the fishing trips that I did like. And that was when we would take those fish that we caught and someone else would clean, and we would cook them over an open fire. And I have to tell you, there's nothing like that in the world. You know, taking the cast iron skillet, putting it on that fire and cooking those fish, and fish for breakfast was a big deal. There was nothing like it, as I said. In today's story, is a story about fish cooking in the morning for breakfast. And the person who's cooking those fish is Jesus. But as, as the story begins to unfold, they don't really know that. So let's step into this story. The story begins with after these things. And we might ask after what things? It's referring to kind of the, the post-resurrection events that happened up to this point in time. Jesus had been crucified, buried, risen from the dead. And according to Mark, that was announced by a young man, an angel. We talked about it last time. We're not exactly sure who that person was, but it was announced. Um, and it was announced to Salome, to Mary, the mother of James, and some of the others who had gone to the tomb first thing in the morning. Do you remember from last week that story? They were going to do what needed to be done for the body. In some of the other gospel stories, Jesus' resurrection was announced to uh, Mary Magdalene. There's another story about Jesus revealing 
Jesus himself to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then there's the story about Jesus in the upper room and, and revealing himself there. And then there's the story that we'll talk about next week about Thomas. Um, you know, Thomas had to have that proof of who this was. Do you remember that story of Thomas? Thomas had to touch those wounds. Thomas had to, to, to know that this was Jesus, that this was really the person who had, was crucified and put in the tomb and raised again. Um, but again, at the end of that story, Thomas is convinced that this is who they say it is. The scars of the crucifixion are there. We don't really know when we look at these post-resurrection stories, we don't really know what Jesus has actually said and taught to the disciples. We know that he said and taught some things. He didn't just, you know, appear and then fade out like a modern-day ghost-ish person. That doesn't happen. We know that... Um, that one of these times where Jesus appeared, there was some empowerment happening. You know, Jesus uh, said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. He breathed on them and they got the Holy Spirit. Now this is before Pentecost. So just take note of that. We know that... Um, that some of those things happened at the, the Last Supper, you know, that, that story. John 16 records that Jesus told them that he would send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, that would guide them. Um, so there's this whole thing, the Spirit is coming, there's all these resurrection stories, and we're building towards something. If you think about it, we're building toward something, toward that Pentecost. And we, in our time between now and Pentecost, are going to build toward that. In one of the post-resurrection stories, when Jesus saw Mary Magdalene, he tells her to go tell the disciples. The, actually, the word there in Greek is, go tell the learners. Go tell the learners. Um, I ascend to my Father, your Father, my God, and your God. And then, again, we go back to that account of the, the in Mark where there's the... How do you describe that, that person? Was it an angel? Was it a man? We're not told that. So... Kind of that is our backdrop, and then we're going to jump into this story. And um, one of the first things that I will note is that when they talk about in the scripture about going to the Sea of Tiberias, do you know what the Sea of Tiberias is? We hear it mostly as the Sea of Galilee. But these people would have known it by the Sea of Tiberias. And so the author of the scripture, the author of John, would have used a common term for that place. These fishermen actually have an encounter with Jesus twice 
that has to do with fishing. Remember where they were when they were called? At the very beginning? And Jesus told them that they would be fishers of... Yeah, we, we translate it men, but it's fishers of humans. Yeah, fishers of humans. Fishers of men, it kind of goes with that song we learn at camp. But these men in this place are not the same as they were then, when they were called. They had been profoundly changed by the life that they lived the last three years. They had been profoundly changed because of their mentor and friend, their teacher. They had been profoundly changed because of the things that they saw and the things that they experienced. These would have been present when the five loaves and two fish became enough for 5,000 plus. These would have been present when the blind began to see. These would have been present when the withered hand was made whole. These would have been present when the woman who had a hemorrhage for so many years was healed. They would have experienced all this stuff. These men, these fishermen, would not have been the same as they were in that first calling. So these seven were at the seashore, the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, and they were waiting. They were trying to figure out what to do. You know, I often wondered why they went back to fishing. Why did they fish? Doesn't it seem to me that they should be waiting for Jesus? Doesn't it seem like they should be preparing in some way? But instead, they're doing this thing that they've always done, this familiar thing. They're fishing. There was still work to be done. But they went back to the familiar. It's so interesting to me that that would happen. Um, you know, the excitement of, of the resurrection has happened. The, all this other stuff has happened. And then they come to the Sea of Tiberias and they're kind of sitting around. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. Do you want to come? Okay, guys, this is Peter. Peter is kind of my favorite character. Peter is the one who, you know, at the same time Jesus says, you are the rock on which I build my church. This is the same Peter who steps out of the boat and sinks. This is the same Peter who denies Jesus. This is the same Peter that Jesus says to him, get behind me. But yet this Peter is saying, I'm going fishing. Now, is this Peter being Peter? Or is there a reason that they might have gone fishing? Could it be that there was this gapping hole in their life? This, this grief so huge? Could it be that and they needed to fill it with something? 
was a financial need that they needed to get back to work. You know, who's going to feed them now? Although we might not understand going back to business as usual, I think that, that we might be tempted to do the same thing. We might be tempted to do the same thing, to go back to the familiar in the face of everything being different. Hmm. I think that, 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 you know, that I pushed against the idea of post-pandemic there being a new normal. I pushed against that idea because there was a lot that I didn't want to let go of. But sometimes if we stick with the same old, same old, we get stuck. And here they go out to fish in, under their own power to do this thing that they have always done. They go out and they fished at night, by the way, because that's when the fish pulled. They went out to fish. They fished all night and they caught nothing. And so to them, this would have been devastating. They wouldn't have had anything to eat for breakfast let alone to sell and to have money to live on. Their hard work was for nothing. And I find it fascinating that, that they come at that place of despondence. And when this stranger says to them, take your boat back out, put the net on the other side. Okay, they don't know at this point that it's Jesus. They go out and follow this stranger's advice. These are seasoned fishermen. They've made their living doing this. They know boats. They know fish. They know how to catch fish. But yet the stranger says to go out, put your net on the other side. They do. They do. And everything changes again. Because when they put their net on the other side, not only do they catch a few fish, they catch a lot of fish. In fact, we're told that they catch 153 fish. Why that number? I have no idea. There's, there's a, a church father named Jerome who thought that they probably said 153 because that was the number of species of large fish that were in that, that area at that time. I don't know. 153 fish is a lot of fish. And we're told that they not only had their nets full, but the nets didn't break. So that 153 fish has got to mean something. I don't know about the, the number of species or anything like that. I'm wondering if 153 is just to, to help us wrap our minds around the fact that it's an abundance of fish. 
that it's not just enough for breakfast. It reminds me of that story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus where there were five loaves and two fish. That was abundance. This is abundance as well. And it's important to note that when they tried to do it on their own, they caught nothing. When they tried to do what Jesus told them to do, they caught much. Wow. Imagine that. I wonder if their capacity to catch fish grew with their obedience. They did what they were asked to do. Now, I think that I've shared with you before that I am kind of a rebel. And when I was a child, my mom would probably have told you that I was the one in the most trouble. Only girl, four older brothers, yeah. I know that Earl would have agreed with that. But obedience isn't simply doing something to avoid punishment. Obedience is doing something because God puts a call on our heart to do something. Something to think about. You know, I think that that every person in the world has two things that they absolutely need. I bet you can guess what they are. The first thing that people need is a sense of belonging. And the second thing that people need is a sense of purpose. Whether it's belonging to a family, a church, a community, People need that sense of belonging. Churches that thrive create a sense of belonging. And they create a sense of purpose. What would you say our purpose is here? What would come to mind? You know, I have this great view of the pantry from up here. That's one of the things that's our purpose. Serving the world in ways that make a difference. Filling hungry bellies. Huh. Wasn't that what Jesus was doing that day? They answered the call. And he filled their need. Something to think about. Something to think about as we think about how we might influence the world around us. I wonder what, a, what the world might look like going forward. I wonder what our church might look like going forward. I wonder what we might look like going forward. I wonder what the other side of our boat is. I wonder. I wonder how we'd answer the question, who needs us and how can we help?
that is the question. Because God has provided for us an abundance that we can't even imagine. A, a, a world with enough for everyone. God has created a community right here. And so I'm going to ask that question again. What does the other side of our boat look like? I'm not going to say new normal because it's, what they did wasn't normal. Normal would have been relying on everything that they always knew. So what is the other side of our boat? Who needs us? Who needs us? And how can we help? Here's the deal. These are questions that we as a congregation will continue to, to ponder as we look at what's next. We look at our apartments opening. We look at the community that we serve through our pantry, we look at the idea that we will call a permanent pastor. And we look at how we as individuals, we as people can grow so that we are 153. 153. How can we live out abundance in our world? Because everything that I read, everything I know, my very being knows that as we look to the future, we look to the future with hope. Amen.